Hi, and welcome to the Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at the Strad. The leader of Manchester Camerata joins me for today's episode. Violinist Caroline Pether speaks about the joy of playing in chamber orchestras. The joy being in that it's just big chamber music, in her words. And it's something in between a symphony orchestra and a string quartet. We spoke about how leading an ensemble is like being a film director, and how a leader has to deal with different ideas, as well as Caroline's favourite pieces to lead and direct. Here it is. Caroline, it's lovely chatting to you today on the Strad Podcast, and we're here today to talk about the joy of playing in chamber orchestras, and I'm sure this is a topic that's very dear to your heart, seeing as you are the leader of Manchester Camerata. So, you know, could you tell me, in, in your mind, tell me how playing in chamber orchestra is different from playing in other ensembles? Yeah, I suppose chamber orchestras sit kind of in the middle of uh, chamber music and symphony orchestras. So it's not as big as a symphony orchestra, but it is still an orchestra. So in Camerata, when we have our full band, we've got about 40 to 45 of us. So that's the kind of size. But I love this size of group because, um, well, first of all, I just love the repertoire. I mean, the Mozart and Haydn symphonies particularly are just so much fun to play. But the thing I really love about it is um, it's sort of the clues in the name, really, for me, that it's big chamber music, basically. Mm. And I find that when it works best is when all of the players in the orchestra kind of feel free to take initiative and bring their own wonderful, distinct musical personalities to the sound, whilst also keeping their ears really, really open and ready to react to each other, um, you know, to other colleagues' special nuances and have a musical conversation. That's when I find it, it works best, when we're kind of all able to give from ourselves, but also reacting to each other all the time. So that's what I personally love for this size of group. And I love doing it with Manchester Camerata. How did you sort of go down this path of becoming a chamber orchestra musician Um, because I I don't know you know typically if people set out to go down that avenue or if it's something you just kind of fall into but you know how Mm. did it come about for you to be playing in this size ensemble? Well a lot of my formative training was um, very much chamber music focused so I was in a string quartet and we had some incredible coachings um, and lessons and concert opportunities to really explore that way of making music, having real ownership of how we were playing the music and real sense of dialogue between us and then When I graduated from college, I started working with an orchestra in Wales, which is called Symphonia Cymru, which is a fantastic group. And they're doing really wonderful things. And they're particularly great for supporting young musicians, people who are either coming towards the end of their time at music college or recently graduated. And I had the opportunity to work with that orchestra for a few years. I led them for a few years. And that was really where my love for this size of group began, because The team there were really generous with the musicians. They allowed us input into programming. They gave us opportunities to lead projects. Um, And I had a couple of opportunities to to direct the orchestra as well, which was just wonderful because it sort of opened up my eyes to 
how flexible a group of that size can be. So that's one of the things I love about chamber music and I really enjoyed combining that in an orchestral setting. There's such a joy of like galvanising everybody with the same vision and I think it becomes the bigger a group gets, obviously, it, the more challenging it gets. I, I think it's it's still possible, but there's something wonderfully nimble about the smaller orchestra. So tell me about your role as a leader of that size group. And I know that you mentioned directing as well. Mm. You know, what sort of approaches do you take when you're tackling a piece, let's say Haydn or a Mozart symphony, for the first time? And you know, you want to have that dialogue between you and your colleagues, but also, mm. you know, you're the leader. <laughs> what do you do? It's a great question, Davina, because getting the balance between those two things is is essentially maybe the challenge of that role. I, you know, I love films and I love listening to lots of podcasts about films and interviews with filmmakers. And I think there's so many similarities between our two industries. In the filmmaking industry, you know, films that work best are ones where the director has a really clear vision and that they're able to communicate that vision to all the people that they're working with and that they're also able to invite those collaborators to be creative and bring something of themselves but without sacrificing that clear vision. And that's often what I'm thinking about if I'm, particularly if I'm directing, but also if I'm leading as well. You know, I love spending time poring over the scores and sort of imagining stories and characters. Sometimes I I like to have sort of imagined that I'm almost an animator on like the Fantasia films, you know, thinking of like (laughs) what story is going on behind this music, trying to get a sense of the phrase shapes and the harmonies and how they interact. And so so I love that work and it's very um, intimate and personal. But then I also really enjoy once we're getting together as a group within the structure of the vision that I'm bringing I then really really hope to create space for my colleagues to bring something of themselves because I think that way that's when you get the orchestra sound to really like live and buzz um, and like have magic in it for me that's when it's the most successful and when conductors come and work with us the conductors that are able to do that as well I think that's when it works best um, someone who's got a real clear vision but who's a- able to encourage those individual personalities to shine. Yeah, it's that sort of synthesis of all these different things coming together and as a leader you have to make sure that you create that space and make sure that you're not stifling the people that you're playing with because I can imagine, um, I'm sure you know people might be listening who have played under people where they do feel stifled and it's not a very nice environment to be in. So you have to come to it with a bit of psychology behind it, right? Sort of thinking about how people tick. Yeah, absolutely. Because ultimately, I think if people are afraid to express themselves, then there's always going to be a cap, I think, on how moving the music is as a result of that if fear is the motivator you know don't play out of tune don't play you know make sure that you're always together and if it's not together then it's really bad you know this kind of fear-based approach I think is so destructive to really actually allowing musicians to express with freedom you know I always my hope is always that I inspire individual confidence and freedom of expression in my colleagues and and I love to hear from them if there's something I can do differently that helps them do that better. One thing I I did want to ask in particular is how do you deal with artistic disagreements especially if you have a very 
strong idea, something that you really want to execute, but someone has a different idea, which seems to be quite different. How do you go about finding a solution that suits both of you when Mm. it seems like it's going to be really difficult? (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, another great question and something we always have to think about how to deal with appropriately. We had this rule when I was in the string quartet that worked quite well for us which was if we really were at loggerheads and we couldn't come to an agreement then we would take a vote and if the vote was split two and two then the person with the melody would decide um (laughs) so that's how we came to an agreement there I think it's a little bit different in a chamber orchestra setting and again it comes back to this kind of that we're in we're somewhere in between a string quartet and a symphony orchestra Mm -hmm. so of course, there's a little bit more room for dialogue, but then there is also a hierarchy that actually is necessary to create the art. You know, again, it comes back to this needing a clear vision. My feeling with this situation is that, you know, whether it's a conductor who's come in um, or whether it's me directing that that vision, of course, that's at the top of the hierarchy, but that doesn't mean that people can't, you know, feed in things. I suppose I would say that it's just finding a way to say, oh, you know, thanks for your input on that, but we're going to do it this way. And that's, you know, okay to say that. And I think if everybody can find a way to sort of acknowledge that sometimes ideas will be taken on board and sometimes they won't, that's a healthy environment. And not be too sore if their idea gets shut down, because I, I think that's yeah. that can be a difficult thing to deal with. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, it's it's also we're, um, time is money. Quite often we're, you know, up against the clock. And if 45 people are feeding into something, then it becomes a too many cooks situation, doesn't it? So it's just about, you know, trying to help everybody discern what are the priorities, maybe pick your battles, finding out which things are the things you really want, you know, to address. But this is a, a learning process for everybody to kind of find that balance. But, you know, that's why I love the the filmmaking analogy, because again, like the director, you know, makes those final decisions. All the people come to the director with the options and then they yeah. say they're the ones sort of with the final say. Well, you want the final piece of art, whether it's a film or a concert, you want the emotional impact to be really, really strong. And so that's, again, yeah, comes back to this clarity of vision which needs streamlining. So I've got one more question for you, and that is, what are your favourite pieces of repertoire to lead or direct? Mm. I'm glad you said favourite pieces, because it would be really hard to choose one. Full orchestra, as I said before, just love all the Mozart and Haydn symphonies, but I have a particular fondness for Mozart Jupiter Symphony. It's just such a wonderful symphony, so much joy. I mean, that last movement is just incredible. So that would probably be my top pick with the whole orchestra. And then with the strings, although actually having said that, there is an arrangement for strings and wind, which we've did recently, which I also loved, but I do love the Bartok Romanian dancers. Something about the piece, it's it just really frees everyone up because everyone has to kind of embrace their inner folk musician. Mm. And forget some of the rules and like playing too well, you know, we can sort of give ourselves permission to kind of purposefully play a little bit dirty, a little bit closer to the earth. So I really, really love directing that piece as well with the, with the musicians. Yeah, it's quite like rough, isn't it? And And also, you know, we were talking a bit before about flexibility and how... You know, those Romanian dancers are in so many different forms of instrumentation. It just goes to show that it's sort of the energy that goes behind those pieces, isn't it? It's not necessarily the instrumentation. 
but yeah, 100% agree. It's just sort of like, you know, going back to that film analogy that you mentioned, it's like having a script or like the text of Shakespeare and then making something from it with what you have. Definitely, because that piece is, you know, so much from the folk tradition, it's just great, you know, to encourage everybody to sort of play with such freedom rhythmically as well which is really uh, fun to experiment with when you've not got a conductor because it, it people have to be brave you know you've got to sort of get a little bit outside of your comfort zone and 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 try something and uh, our Gabo Tokash our director music director he often says things like you know nothing in nature is straight like tree trunks are all got these like little nobbles on them little like deviations and there are no straight lines in nature only in man-made things and so it sort of feels like that it's a wonderful way to approach this kind of music that's so close to nature that encouraging the musicians not to play with a kind of regular pulse all the things that we're told not to do as students it's great you know break the rules a little bit it's kind of, it is freeing and, and liberating in that way but as you say just kind of scary like Oh, I was always taught for so long not to play so close to the bridge. Yeah. But here we are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Bab. Caroline, thank you so much for joining me today on the Strand Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Davina. That was violinist Caroline Pether, leader of Manchester Camerata. Right now, you're listening to her playing an excerpt of Songs of Solitude Number 1 by John Harbison, which features on her episode of Untold, the Camerata's video series of real-life stories presented in an up-close and intimate way. You can find the link to that episode on YouTube if you check out the podcast show notes. And don't forget to head to our website, thestrad.com, to check out the latest news and articles on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. Not forgetting, we've got 50% off an online subscription for students. Check the show notes for the link, and if you're on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or a rating. Thanks so much for listening, and tune in again soon for another episode. Bye!